Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are reactions from Super Bowl 55 and the moments that changed the game. Plus, what does the future hold for the legacies of Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and many more? And can this generation of NBA talent beat previous generations? It's episode 13 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Welcome to Lucky Episode number 13 of the podcast, Let Me Speak. Joe Braverman once again joining you, but today we've got another guest joining us via Zoom. Uh, Someone very important to me. He's a former Emmy Award winner for a talk show uh, on New England Cable News. He had a 15-year run there. He's the founder of Pro Cannabis Media, and he's got his own podcast called In the Weeds, which you can check out everywhere. He's a very special friend. I like to call him my mentor. Jimmy Young joins the Let Me Speak podcast. Jimmy, how are you today? Thank you, Joe, and thanks for allowing me to speak in your presence. Uh, <laughs> what a pleasure it is to have the uh, the master interviewed by one of his uh, younglings out there. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know. We go way back. I mean, I'll honestly say that you were the very first person who got me into broadcasting because you're, you had your camp, Young Broadcasters of America. I want to say I was like, eight or nine years old when my mom and dad signed me up and now here we are almost 12 years later yikes you just aged me but that's okay no I remember those days and I love those days and I'll be honest with you some of my happiest times was working with young people like yourself and to see you all grown up with a college degree and and practicing some of the skills that we were able to expose you to um, I'm, I'm thrilled all right well I know the big thing in that camp was sports. There were very few people who didn't want to talk about sports, me included. So I know you're as big into sports as I am. And of course, everyone cannot stop talking about the Super Bowl from this past Sunday. So just what were your initial thoughts from that game watching the Buccaneers beat the Chiefs 31 to 9? Well, I'll tell you, I remember I was actually on a, on a new app called the Clubhouse at halftime. With a, with a co-anchor friend of mine named Rye Russell from Weed Buds Radio out of Maine. And they were all excited about my insight and analysis. And all I can remember is saying, the game is over at halftime. You know, Brady is a master of trying to attack what he sees in front of him. And because he's seen more defenses thrown at him than anybody in that situation, to, imagine this. You're, you're an odds maker in Las Vegas, and you gave a guy who's won six Super Bowls, made him the underdog, and gave him three points. Now, I don't bet on sports. I just like to watch sports and enjoy them for the escape that they provide and entertainment. So I was like, I was like, anybody was asking me, I'm like, look, pretty underdog in the Super Bowl with points. I think that's a good bet. So at halftime, you know, you saw what happened. Kansas City pretty much was undisciplined. They, they were giving away 
critical penalties, and you can't give Brady an opportunity for a short field in any kind of a situation where he's just going to tear you apart. And that's exactly what he did. So in a lot of ways, I was not surprised with what I saw. I was surprised at the way Kansas City did not make any in-game adjustments. And what does that tell me? That reflects on Andy Reid and his coaching staff, who, by the way, has never really done a great job with in-game adjustments at any time in his career, but he's still a great coach, doesn't take anything away from him. Uh, that being said, give Brady a great offensive line and receivers who can get open and catch the ball. Tampa wins that game. And, and think about it. They're playing at home for the first time. First time ever in a Super Bowl that a team was playing on their home and their home stadium, even though it was, you know, socially distanced attendance, if you will, and, and, and managed and limited to 25,000 and under. Um, it was the first half was about as entertaining as I've seen in a long time. I really, really enjoyed that football game. The second half was kind of boring and just kind of like, OK, they're not going to come back. And they didn't. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I was kind of disappointed in Kansas City's performance. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they did win a Super Bowl a year ago. They did return to the big game. Don't take anything away from Patrick Mahomes because he's the only other guy in the league that I do make appointments to watch play because he really is an exciting player and he's surrounded by great players. And usually during the regular season, uh, that's enough to get me to make an appointment to view the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, again, I guess I look back at it now and I can't believe the NFL pulled it off, to be honest with you. I remember in my spring class at Emerson this past year where we had to have that uh, COVID break in the middle of it around March 12th. And I remember saying when this all came out, I said, you know, I don't know how the hell they play NFL football in the fall. This was March. This is before we knew anything really about how contagious this virus is. And they pulled it off. And I give the league credit for that. You know, a lot of people don't realize the logistics involved in moving teams from city to city uh, during a pandemic, uh, having to juggle the schedule on a weekly basis. And really, uh, they got to their final game. They, they proved that they could actually do this. And I give them a lot of credit uh, for that. So that's my kind of summation of the Super Bowl and the NFL year this year. Yeah, I'm totally on the same line. The fact that they could get through all of this. They had their ups. They had their downs, which we've seen over all the leagues. They've had these little scares, but they've been able to push through it. But going back to the Super Bowl, I was completely stunned at the result, just like you. Not so much with Kansas City's performance, but the fact of how dominant that Brady was because I had the feeling that the Bucs offense was going to be as good. You think of all the weapons that Tom Brady's had. I mentioned it last week um, when he was in New England, I couldn't name like five or six guys who were probably like all time talent. I'd like Randy Moss, Troy Brown, all of them. Uh, but when you give him the weapons like Mike Evans, you bring in Gronk out of retirement, all of those weapons, look what he can do. And for him to get a seventh ring was absolutely phenomenal. And it, what's funny is that, like, looking back on the numbers, I saw Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, the top two receivers, only had three receptions in total. You have Gronkowski, who had six. Uh, Antonio Brown, who had five. Leonard Fournette had four. Uh, I thought Tampa just played phenomenal. And really for Kansas City, like, we kind of knew what the Bucks offense was going to do offensively. We knew they could put points up on the board. But for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era, 
the offense was not able to bail out the defense for the kind of play that they did. I mean, 31 points, like, yeah, that's a lot, but that's like on average what that Chiefs defense would give up. Offensively for Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, they put up like 35 or 40. So if the offense had a better game, then we might be talking about back-to-back champs instead of Tampa Bay. But I thought defensively they did tremendous at getting Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket, really just forcing him to basically run like a madman because he got no protection at all. And that loss of Eric Fisher just seems so crucial because there was so much shifting around going from left side to right side. And combine that with forcing Mahomes into basically playing superhero. Um, He made some of the plays, but just getting to the red zone was extra difficult where they really ramped up the pressure. Did you see, did you see, did you see the advanced metric about how many yards Patrick Mahomes ran in the backfield and during the whole game, I think it was something like 430 yards. He probably he ran running, more than both teams combined. Their run game, right, running for his life. I mean, I, you know, what kind of a game plan is that? That's not something you want to put in there. You don't want your quarterback. I don't care how mobile he is, running around over 400 yards in your backfield. And it goes back to that old cliche, Joe. I know, I'm sure you've heard you say this a million times in championship basketball, championship football defense is going to win it is the better defense is going to win it is why bill russell is the greatest basketball player of all time because he was the greatest defender and the greatest team player he made the defensive plays in order to make the other team if you make those defensive plays and you hold your other team to zero scoring you're going to win most games you know but let's face it that's why they play these games is to win but if you prevent the other team from even scoring or, or getting a goal you're going to win that game. And it's why Bill Russell won every single one of his uh, elimination games in his career. I don't know if you saw the the local Boston papers, but I I thought, uh, I think it was Shaughnessy did the the old poll about who's the greatest athlete. And they were comparing Brady now to Bobby Orr, to Ted Williams and to Bill Russell. And again, it's Russell in a hand and still will always be anybody who's old enough to remember him playing. And I was fortunate enough, Joe, yeah, I'm old enough to remember. (laughs) I actually saw Bill Russell play live in person as a kid at the old Boston Garden more times than I saw Larry Bird play live. Think about that. that. I mean, I probably saw Russell play 40 games in in the 60s versus uh, Bird. I know I only saw Larry Bird play about six times live. So I was busy at that time. You know what I mean? I was in Portland, Maine doing sports. So we only got to cover the NBA playoffs. So you didn't get to see too many regular season games. Yeah. And that's actually a good segue to the next part is let's talk about like, what is the legacy and the futures for this? And you have Tom Brady having all these um, comparisons to, like you said, easy. I don't think he's the best athlete of all time talking about him with no. like MJ and all that, because have you seen him run? Have you seen him like go for scrambling? There's no, he's, I wouldn't he's put him that. in the top 20 athletes. Here's, here's the thing. It just shows you how much it isn't so much about being the greatest athlete. It's about being the greatest competitor, the greatest. Um, he, he prepares for the game better than anybody. He knows more about the other team's defense than the other team does. So his preparation 
really keeps him separated. And it makes up for his lack of athleticism because he's prepared. It's like, oh, that guy's over there. That means they're going to do this. Then I'm going to go over here and throw it to him because I know this guy's, I like this matchup better than in like three seconds, he makes those decisions. It's pretty remarkable. I would say he's the most cerebral sports figure and winner of all time. Yeah, and I would, you know, going back to what you said about Bill Russell, I'd probably put him second behind Bill Russell as the greatest winner. I know you could probably put him outside the top 10 with the amount of Celtics that were on those 11 championship teams with Bill Russell. You got like Tommy Heinsohn and just just a list, a list John that could go for miles. Don't forget John Havlicek. Please. John Havlicek, Never of forget. course. Dennis Johnson, can't forget him. Right. Casey Jones. Hondo, we, we could go Hondo on and special. on. Hey, Joe, let me ask you a question. I remember my first interview at Tufts University when I was closer to your age than I am now, let's just say. And I remember getting a press credential to go watch the Celtics practice. They used to practice at Lexington Christian Academy in Lexington, Mass. in the in the 70s. And I got a press credential and I got to interview John Havlicek. That was my first interview. So I'm going to ask you, Joe. Who was your first professional interview that you did? Do you remember who it was and when? I mean, I don't know if I could go professional. Um, I want to say, I want to say it was definitely someone at your camp. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm getting the feeling is you had a lot of like connections, a lot of insiders to that. Um, gosh, I, I, I it, the funny is I remember, I remember uh, Adam Magaletta interviewing Vince Wolfwork. I remember, um, uh, ben Weiner interviewing Bobby Orr. Uh, and I, I was trying to think who, I, I know I had a lot of broadcasters, a lot of sportscasters. And at that camp, we had Mike Doc Emmerich call in one night. I remember that. We had one of those interviews. Uh, you know, obviously uh, locally here in Boston, I'm really good friends with Bob Halloran from Channel 5. He's always, he was always a regular. But you can't come up with one. You don't remember? I think the- I actually do remember Dan Duquette. Um, he did go. call in. He, I remember him calling in. I think that there was the go. very first one I ever did. I want to say there I was maybe like 12. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but with Tom Brady, going back to the topic, is that with, with Bill Russell, um, he's the greatest winner. But I think second, the reason I put Brady as second is that what he's doing at this part of his career is absolutely incredible. I mean, he's 43 years old right now. Just just put this into perspective. He won his third Super Bowl in 2005, that game against the Eagles, when he was 27. Now he's got four more of those seven wins. And this was it, – it was a 10-year span between that Eagles Super Bowl win and the Seahawks Super Bowl win. When he won against Seattle, he was 37. 37. And then he won the next one at 39 and then 41 and 43. So just to see what he's doing at this age, like you can't tell me one, maybe two guys who are at this age and are still competing at this level. Like they're still competing, but not at this like peak that Tom Brady's been doing basically all his career. Well, first of all, think about the fact he's a drop back quarterback who relies on a great offensive line. If he, can play clean if, if, if the offensive line can protect Brady so he can sit in that pocket three seconds, four seconds until that that separation occurs for his wide receivers or his tight ends, his targets, you know, that gives him a lot of time to, to calculate a lot of stuff. And I'll tell you, you know, 43 is like the old 33 and 63 
is like the old 23, okay? So, you know, I, I, nowadays age is really a number. It's really how young you feel, what your experience is. You know, because he's not an athlete, his body isn't beat up that bad. And of course, you know, his body's a temple. He buys into his TB12, you know, routine and his his brand and he lives his brand. And and that that tells you a lot about the dedication at the level that he performs at every year. I don't know how many people would be that dedicated at 43, but he loves the game. He can still play it at an elite level. And if you keep him clean, he'll pick you apart. Yeah, and by the way, did you, did you see that they're favored, I think, to repeat next year? I think they were second favorite behind Kansas City and oh, the okay. odds makers that I saw. But right. that, that's that's in part of keeping all of those weapons around him, like right. Markowski and all of Absolutely. that. But on the other side of the coin, you have to wonder where do Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs go from here? I personally think they're going to be fine because I can't remember anyone who's had their first double-digit loss in – year i think three this is for patrick mahomes um and his first blowout i know he said like the loss will motivate me the rest of my career i mean guys like aaron Rodgers, drew Brees, tom brady they all had blowouts way sooner than than this blowout right here so i think the chiefs and patrick mahomes they're going to be completely fine this isn't a legacy damaging sort of thing for them well you know it's interesting you say that but uh, and i don't know if you you know i've subscribed to the sports illustrated magazine my entire life now that it's down to almost a, a comic book size and they only put it out monthly, it's, it's a little, it's <laughs> kind of sad, but they did this great article on how challenging it is, how difficult it is to repeat this, to get back to the Super Bowl during the salary cap era. And if you think about it, Seattle had a chance to win two in a row. The Patriots stopped them. The only, the last team to do it was the 0304 uh, back-to-back years of the Patriots. Brady, of course, made sure that that, record is maintained even though he was playing for another team and I think that is perhaps the biggest not surprise but the biggest most impressive thing that he did this with a new team he did this with no preseason workouts for the most part the 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 challenges of zoom meetings instead of in-person meetings and and he ran the table after what did he do? Eight was it eight and a whole? Did they finish the winning the last eight games in a row or something? I think they were like seven and five. Then they had like the latest bye week at right. week 13, and then they just ran the, ran rest the table. Of the way. They ran the table and they won three road games to get to their home game in, in Super Bowl, uh, whatever it was, 53 or whatever it is these days. I I lose count. <laughs> 50, it's 55, but we won't again, wow. we don't discuss age Great. around here. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree that like the, the timing of this, I mean, to be on the same team for 20 years and then move on to a new team, a new conference, new coaching weapons, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's just phenomenal. And this game was really all about just watching Tom Brady be as great as he's ever been. And Kansas City, I think they'll be fine. I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they come out of the AFC again next year. It would not surprise okay. me. But it will surprise me. Yeah. That- yeah. I do I do think defensively they do need some help. Because yeah. I, I think they they need a couple of weapons to shut down guys. Cause if you're still giving up this kind of thing to Tom Brady and he's at 43, you gotta beef up for Lamar Jackson or some of the young guys in the AFC and the NFC to to really hold them down and to be able to continue this quote unquote new dynasty in the NFL. 
Yeah, wow. I'm with you. And I'll still yeah. watch Patrick Mahomes play because he's an exciting player. Yeah, and he didn't lose that game. I don't think you can blame that loss on him. But no. just the loss of Eric Fisher, that O-line shifting around was just insane. I think he's going to be fine. Mahomes will be fine. Then we move on to our next topic, which I think I wanted to have you talk about this because I think you could talk better than anyone about this. Um, Kevin Garnett, the former Celtic legend, the future Hall of Famer, he commented a couple days ago saying, I don't think guys from 20 years ago couldn't play in this NBA in today's game. Now we're talking like early 2000s, maybe late 90s. We have guys like Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, Allen Iverson, those guys. And mm-hmm. I just want to get your opinion. Do you do you agree or disagree that you think that Kevin Garnett thinks that the players from his era could make it in today's NBA if they could last? This is this is one of those queries, one of those uh, questions that people have argued about for years. It's very difficult to compare eras. Okay, it really is. It just is. You know, and I'm a big. Bill Russell supporter because I got to see him play. The guy never lost an elimination game and all that. But the game of basketball has changed. The style of play has changed as these athletes. And you see it in football too. You know, in the eighties, the linemen, the offensive linemen were like 280. That was big. You know, now they're 340, right? Same thing happens with athletes. You know, the athlete that was, dominant like a Michael Jordan at six, seven, six, eight. I think Jordan was maybe six, five in that range, right? Is completely different than what you see now. Now you see seven footers with the skills of guards in basketball. The game is no longer an outside in game. It's an inside out game. And why is that? Because now the three point field goal actually has become 40% accurate, right? So you basically are saying, well, if I can pull up from the three-point line and get three three instead of two by pushing it into the key and getting a layup or a dunk, I'm going to do that. So it has changed the game completely. The athletes of today are far superior to the athletes back then, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, because being an athlete, you know about your diet. You know how to take care of yourself. Sports medicine advances, how to take care of those musculoskeletal issues, the soft tissue injuries that happen in sports when you're an athlete, getting them back on the field rehabbed and as strong as they were before an injury. All that stuff has impacted this modern game. I love talking to guys that remember the 60s about how basketball has changed. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, it's not as easy to watch basketball now as it was even 20 years ago when low post play was still in, in vogue. You don't, you don't see too much low post play anymore. It's all about flying in from the wings or, or you, you penetrate into the lane and you kick it back out to the open three point shot. I mean, it, it, it's taken a lot of adjustment from me to enjoy the game today um, and I'm not sure I do enjoy it as much as I did then. I'd like to see them move that three-point field goal line back a couple of feet so that I, you could see more low post play. Look at it. Kevin McHale 
Okay, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, these were dominant low post players. One was a center, the all-time scorer, and, and Mikhail was a power forward. And you're not going to, they would not be as effective in this game. They'd have to learn how to shoot from the three-point land in order to open up the inside game. So, you know, I, I love when um, people like Kevin Garnett throw things out like that just because it allows you to talk about the different eras and the different style of play. Don't forget, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson saved the NBA in many, many ways in, in 1979 to 1987. You know, that whole era changed the game. They introduced the three-point field goal then, right? So it, was a, it wasn't, um, it, if you look at the amount, look at the records, the three-point records, right? You know, if you got two or three three-pointers in the 80s, that was a big deal. Now, if you, you get, you know, what is that? I think the record's something like nine. 13. What is it, 13? I want to say like 13 or 14. I think Steph Curry maybe did that a couple of years ago. And it, by the way, he doesn't even break a sweat when he's out on the three-point line throwing <laughs> up those things, right? So again, game has changed. It has taken a, a bit of an adaptation of a lot of old school guys like myself who like the, day, the days of the past, the, pen, the great penetrating pass that both Magic and Larry, uh, you know, in, not introduced the game, but brought it back to that game. So um, I'd like to see some adjustments. I'd like to see them widen the court. You know how many times I've seen guys in that little two foot um, square in the corner of the court, step back, step out of bounds. And you hear the announcer say, maybe they should widen it up by six, six inches. I'd like to see them extend the end line a little bit behind the basket and, and make it a little bit wider. It will change a lot of um, how the game is played. Uh, little subtle changes to the court, but I don't know if they'll ever get to that. I know there's a competition committee in football um, but uh, I'm not quite sure if there's one in basketball. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot to make those kind of adjustments. And I, I don't, I'm kind of on your level where it's like I kind of like the old way. But I mean, I'm, I wouldn't go back to like the Larry, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, like that sort of era. My era when I first started was like mid 2000s. So that was like um, LeBron James just entered the league, Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson. Uh, all those guys. I remember Shaquille O'Neal, uh, super great. Um, and it's just, like you said, it's completely different. So I agree that it's hard to compare these kind of eras. Mm -hmm. um, I, there are multiple ways where you could say like, oh, Garnett is completely right, but he's completely wrong. Because I read a little bit more of his comments and he was more talking about the defensive end, um, especially in the way the game has changed. And well, I've kind of noticed it. I've said this last week where it is an offensive driven league. Like you've mentioned, the three point shot is basically you're either in the league if you can make it or you're out of the league if you can't make it. And the, the other problem is that there's just when you were talking about like the technology analytics and all that, we have like replay for everything. So you could say that every single possession in the NBA is a foul that you could basically say that for every single possession. So I just think like all those ticky tack fouls when you were going back to the days of like the Detroit Pistons bad boys era and stuff like that. Uh, the infamous Kevin McHale clothesline. I mean, that would be considered in today's you'd get like a 50 game suspension yeah. or stuff like that. So just guy, guys were a little bit more tougher. They weren't, you know, complaining on a little slap of the wrist. Um, Man, so that, yeah, that's my kind of era. 
the complaining uh, against the ref. And, and, I'll, and Joe, you're making a great point about referees, especially in basketball. They have more of an impact on that game than perhaps any other sport because you're right. They can call a foul on every play, you know, and they have to somehow or other define what the line is for what is going to be a foul in that game as opposed to what it was the game before with another referee. You know, the consistency, it's so, it's so objective. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why those referees in basketball are, are probably the easiest targets for, let's just say, uh, unscrupulous activities. Let's yeah, because that. that's the only league where if you commit a foul, you're giving them free points. You know, in, in right. football, when you get a penalty, you just move up the field. Um, in, in hockey, you go to the penalty box for two minutes. You still got to put in the effort to score. We're talking free points here and why right. they call them free throws. So he's completely right because like you said the athletes are stronger quicker faster more athletic they know how to put their body in shape mm -hmm. but on the other point he's kind of wrong because i see a couple of guys who are in the league right now who don't have the kind of skill sets of a modern nba player who are still playing in the league mm -hmm. you have like big guys like uh rudy gobert dwight howard ben simmons andre drummond deandre jordan just to name a few and not only that, uh, they're still in the league, but they're strong defenders as well. They can play defense, and defense, as you said, is still the factor to everything on every championship, no matter what team it is. But basically, if you're guys just aren't playing defense anymore, they're not giving the effort on every single play. That's why you see guys like James Harden being like a matador and just say like, "Head to the basket, go for the layup." because I'm going to use all my energy on the offensive end compared to the defensive end. And so mm -hmm. I look at guys back in the day, like Ray Allen, who's probably one of the best three point shooters of all time. I sure. see the late great Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest scorers of all time. And I see Shaquille O'Neal, one of the most dominant low post men who could literally, it didn't matter who was on him. He would take them in the post and he would eat them alive. I think all three of them would be able to take on, this generation of talent. And I think they're some of the greatest players that can adapt to the kind of era that we're in, where you can score and you can still lock down defensively. And not only that, but look at LeBron James. He's still kind of in that era and he's dominating and it almost feels like he hasn't changed his game at all. So that's where I stand with all this. Before I let you go, uh, I want to plug the Pro Cannabis Media, uh, your your own podcast you have as well, In the Weeds. Um, tell uh, all the people who's listening who might not know about it, tell them about Pro Cannabis Media and what you can expect uh, if you go on to this website. Okay, so first of all, it's an above 21 content, okay? Now that you're over 21, which freaks me out completely, Joe, okay? <laughs> you're an adult. You get to make decisions about what you want to do, when you want to do it, and you will be suffering those consequences no matter what. It's kind of like anything else in life. So I started a podcast in the weeds, and make sure it's in the weeds with Jimmy Young, because there's probably a thousand podcasts out there with the same name. Some of them have something to do with cannabis, and some of them don't. 
Anyway, it, mine happens to have my name attached to it. So it's very important that when you do your search for In the Weeds, you make sure you add in with Jimmy Young. That being said, I didn't think in a million years as an old sports guy, I would end up talking about cannabis as a vocation. Uh, needless to say, it's about as controversial a topic as you can find. Everybody has an opinion about this plant. And some have an educated opinion and some do not. And some are still you know, listening to what they've heard over the last 80 years. Science and research has debunked just about every myth and stereotype about this plant. They put this plant on earth for a reason. They being God put them on, the, uh, on this planet for a reason. Did you know, Joe Braverman, that in the 1920s in the United States of America, medical doctors, people that went to Harvard Med back in the 1920s, okay, other Ivy League schools got their medical degrees. They wrote 5 million prescriptions for cannabis-based medicine wow. to help people in, in the 1920s. 5 million wow. prescriptions, okay? I did not know that. Then, then along comes... Well, it has a lot to do with race. And, you know, this is the thing, you know, law enforcement in this country is taking a beating and the private prison system in this country is taking a beating and rightfully so, because it's been easy to profile the fact that African-American people in this country use cannabis at the same amount as white people. And sure enough, in jail, there's three and a half times more people of color than there are white people. That's called white privilege. That's called profiling because law enforcement for years, as they're trying to, to have this war on drugs, realize that people are using this plant. It, it's, it's a natural plant. It can actually enhance your life. We have this endocannabinoid system in all mammals that this plant interacts with. Again, science and research drove us to this point. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who say to me, Cannabis has saved my life. Cannabis has changed my life. Do you know how many veterans I've talked to that were addicted to opioids that got off 40, 50, one guy, 70 opioids through cannabis? So there must be something to it. Everything that the, the, the world has thought about this for years as a drug is being debunked now. All that being said, I respect everybody's opinion about it. All I'm trying to do is to give the industry a voice, a professional voice, if you will, or an older professional voice, if you will, uh, an opportunity to tell their stories because traditional media still is living in an era that it was, oh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna make you lazy. You can't do too much. You know, you're gonna end up on the couch all day long. And sure, guess what? If you drink all day and you become an alcoholic, you're going to be on the couch and you're going to need to be in rehab. And let me tell you, alcohol really is poison compared to what this plant is. So again, it's why I preach responsible use. Get yourself educated. If you want to use it, great. If you don't want to use it, that's fine too. Okay. It, it, we're, this is a whole new era that we're in. And it's why I always end my broadcast, my podcast with the same line. It's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. And that's the most important thing. Learn about it. In fact, now I think adults, parents have a great opportunity to talk to their young kids about sex, drugs, and alcohol. And you know what's amazing? What's the most addictive drug 
in our society? Do you know the answer to that? 91% of people use this drug almost every day. And nobody says, what is it? I would say alcohol, but I know that's not a drug. Um, I'm, I'm not right. sure exactly. It's called caffeine. It's ah, caffeine. caffeine. Oh. 91% of Americans use, uh, use caffeine every day in their coffee. And what happens when they miss a day? Their bodies have a reaction, a physical reaction. You get a headache or you just feel just not right. I need my coffee. I need my coffee. Nobody says anything about addiction or dependence on caffeine. Try to skip a couple of days of caffeine and see what happens to your body. Okay. If I skip a day or two, maybe I don't sleep as well. Maybe the aches in my hands start coming back. But, you know, it's not a headache. It's not, I don't get the same kind of physical reaction that you get from caffeine. So I always make that comparison. Alcohol has been here since 1937 when they, they, they outlawed the wrong drug, if you will, back then. Okay. And it was all because of hemp and the threat to the pulp industry that two guys, DuPont and Hearst controlled. And they're the ones who funded that reefer madness propaganda film. They're the ones that put the DEA in place. And they're the ones who systemized racism in this country by outlawing this plan. So there's my rant and rave. Procannabismedia.com is my website. In the Weeds with Jimmy Young is my podcast. And every week we put together a new show called Weed Talk News. And I pair myself up with another person, this kid from Maine, because you know me, Joe, I'm always mentoring younger people. <laughs> of course. And he and I uh, co-host this show. We do it every Thursday. And we had 6,100 views of our news last week, which was a record for us. We've had upwards of a couple of thousand every week, but 6,100 was a lot. And we picked up 500 subscribers. So go to YouTube, your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your Twitters, search Pro Cannabis Media. And it's not just me anymore. It's, I've got another five uh, content producers. We're sharing their uh, content and their shows, if you will. And it's all based on news, information, and education. Okay, so that's what we do. Yeah, it's absolutely an incredible thing that you're doing with Pro Cannabis Media. Once again, for those of you 21 and older, let's get it out there. 21 right. and older, In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Check that out on anywhere you check out podcasts. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It was so much fun reconnecting, and you're always going to be my number one mentor, and I'll probably need you till the day I die. So thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Happy to do it, Joe, anytime. You know how to find me. Thanks again to Jimmy Young for joining us on the podcast. Now we go back to just me and it will turn into our Let's Get Local segment of the week now originally i was going to talk about the patriots reactions to seeing their old quarterback and tight end tom brady and rob gronkowski win the super bowl but news from last night has changed those plans and so instead of the patriots we'll talk about the red sox and again another head scratching off-season move that sent a former world champion to another squad of course i am speaking of andrew benintendi the red sox in a three-team trade, sending him to the Kansas City Royals. And in return, they get Franchi Cordero from the Kansas City Royals, 
two players to be named later. They also get minor league right-hander Josh Winkowski from the New York Mets with a player to be named later. Now, this just, I, I don't get it. I mean, one season removed from trading a once-in-a-generational talent in Mookie Betts, and you're doing it again in the next offseason? Credit Benintendi is not Mookie Betts, but he is still an integral part of this team. Why would you get rid of him because of one bad year? I understand he had... I understand he had two down years from his World Series win in 2018 with the Sox. But, I mean, come on. It almost feels like it's too soon for this thing. It's too soon to be shopping him. Because let's look at his numbers. 2017, 271 average. Only his second year. Year three, the 2018 year. 290, 16 homers, 87 runs batted in. That's that was his peak right there. And then just one down year, 266 in 2019. But that year was a down year for the entire Sox organization. And then in 2020, yeah, he batted 103, but he only played in 14 games cuz he had an injury. Okay? This seems ridiculous to trade him at this point. You want to see him fully healthy, go through a full year and then take that offseason to make a move. What is Bloom doing? It is such a dumb move. Absolutely dumb. I don't care if he's a fan favorite or not. This is not a smart move. Because keep in mind, who else are your outfielders right now? Alec Verdugo, J.D. Martinez. Those are the two you can trust right now. Those are the two you can trust. You don't have Jackie Bradley Jr. at this moment. So you better hope and pray that Jackie Bradley Jr. is is re-signed to this team. You better hope and pray that. Because if you're giving up Andrew Benintendi, you better be locking in the fact that you will get JBJ back. Because this is not a good move. Benintendi is one of the only consistent guys in this team where you can still make a run for winning. This just sounds like pure tank mode for the Red Sox, for Chime Bloom. In his era, he's given away future superstars in Mookie Betts, and Andrew Benintendi, and I'll even go back to last season when he gave away Kevin Pillar, the best offensive player on that team for 2020, and you trade him away, all right? So far, Chime Bloom is getting like an F as general manager of this Red Sox team, because why would you give away Andrew Benintendi for this price? Not only that, this price all right, you would think with a guy like Andrew Benintendi, you'd get at least an accomplished guy. But you're getting a guy in Franchi Cordero who you're just hoping is somewhat sustainable for this team. And I say sustainable because it's just, ugh, I'm just so angry because of the price. I mean, think about the Mookie Betts deal. Alex Verdugo was your top prize in that. He hasn't. He's not a Mookie Betts. You want to get a major haul for Mookie Betts. And with Brendan Tendy and Frenchie Cordero, Cordero, his averages have been 228 in 30 games, 237 in 40 games, 333 in 9 games, and 211 in 16 games. What a horrible return that the Red Sox got. 
And this could be to bolster the farm system, but it's not it's not good. It's just not good. A terrible move made by Chime Bloom. And speaking of teams that need to make a move, the Boston Celtics. Now, they are just finishing up a West Coast trip. They'll be back. But they just went through a really tough stretch out on the West Coast. And keep in mind, this was a team that was not fully healthy. Not fully healthy. There was no Marcus Smart for the entire trip. No Jalen Brown for two of those games. And yet, they still are 1-2. and two. Okay, because they they got the big win at the Clippers. I was very entertained by that game. I thought the Celtics did a great job of getting back into that game and just taking over the Clippers. Now, I understand the Clippers didn't have Paul George, but hey, it's a win nonetheless. But then following that up with losses versus Phoenix and Utah, those are three incredibly tough teams to be playing back-to-back. And for the Celtics, I mean, let's look at where they are in the standings. Uh, The Clippers are number three. The Suns are number four. And Utah, obviously, is number one. Okay, that's a very tough stretch for the Celtics team. And when you look at their schedule, they have played a handful of very tough teams in their first 23 games. Let's keep that in mind. They've had to play Milwaukee. They've had to play most of their West Coast games. They've had to play Brooklyn a couple times, obviously same division. They've had to play Philadelphia multiple times. So this is a really tough stretch of games, but it's going to get a little easier uh, tonight when they host Toronto. Then the next day they'll host Detroit. They go to Washington. They've got a nice stretch of games where it might be a little bit easier. I think the biggest test will be next Tuesday when they host the Denver Nuggets, but This Celtics team just had a really tough West Coast swing with basically without a healthy team. Without a healthy team. I mean, they did go 2-3 and on that West Coast swing. But there was no Marcus Smart. There was no Jalen Brown for a couple of those. I keep saying it over and over. Imagine what this team will be at full strength. Because I think you have to, obviously Smart's going to be an integral an integral role in that rotation. I think Carson Edwards, what he's done, he's earned the minutes over Jeff Teague. I think Pritchard, obviously, you give him minutes. You got to give Rob Williams some minutes as well. And how about Shemi Ojale? I like what he does defensively, and then he's finding his shot on the offensive end. I think he's earned himself some minutes. Obviously, Grant Williams, you put him in there. But I still think I still think you need a big guy. You need to get either in the offseason or at the trade deadline, you got to get a piece off the bench for size. You got to get an established center cuz I think the, the two big lineup with Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, it it can work in certain situations. But just all the time I don't think it can work. But I think the deadline's still a couple of weeks away and you know, we'll see what the Celtics can do. We will see what they can do for the rest of February. It's going to get easier, but they've just had a really tough stretch. And I don't think the sky is falling just yet. I know they're 12 and 11 by the time we record this. But I think they're going to be okay. They're going to be completely fine. They're still in the top four in the conference. And it just takes a good stretch of games for them to get right back into it. With everyone chasing Philadelphia and Milwaukee. But 
for the city of Boston, there is a lot to talk about with the Patriots' old quarterback winning, with the Celtics, the Bruins, and the Red Sox making their moves. It's definitely an active time in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. episode 13 it is once again time to look at our lol head scratcher moment of the week and for this episode we've said this guy's name over and over and over and let's just throw it in one more time in this segment because our head scratcher lol moment of the week goes to tom brady that's right the goat has made the lol head scratcher segment and if you've been living under a rock and missed what a party it was down in Tampa, Florida just yesterday, Tom Brady might have had a little too much fun. And who knew what alcohol could do to a goat? Because he was partying like a madman. And the moment in particular that puts him in this segment was when he was on one end of the boat and he decided to throw the Lombardi Trophy over to another boat during this boat parade. Okay, now, let's start with a predecessor. Like I said, little avocado tequila is what Tom Brady said was the difference maker. And have you seen the videos not only of him tossing the Lombardi Trophy, but him being taken off of the boat? He basically needed so much help getting off of there oh my goodness I mean you'd think in his mind he's won so many he's probably thinking "Eh, it's nothing let's have a little fun with it I mean you could compare it to when Rob Gronkowski dented the sixth Lombardi trophy for New England when he tried to hit a baseball off of it but I mean Gronkowski was sober at the time and that's just a little thing to toss the Lombardi trophy to another boat I mean, clearly Tampa Bay values that trophy more than he does. But, I mean, what was he thinking? I mean, clearly he wasn't thinking because there was probably some avocado tequila running through his veins. But, I mean, think of all the options that you had. The boat could have easily just, like, pulled to the side, come right up next to it, and it could have been just like, here, take it, take it, and then parade around with it. The funniest part of that video is when he's going to toss it, you can hear his daughter, Vivi, in the background saying, Daddy, no, basically saying, don't do this. And that's saying a lot when your kid is smarter than you are. And it's also saying a lot that Tom Brady was having the most fun and partying the most more than Rob Gronkowski. That says a lot. And, you know, it, it, start, it makes you think, if you're a New England fan, what did those other trophies and those championships mean to him compared to this one in Tampa? Because we're seeing all the videos, he's just having so much fun compared to his time in New England. Now, part of it might be the environment. You know, if you're on a boat in Florida, it's probably more fun than being on a duck boat in Boston 
in February. You're probably not going to have as much fun there as you are in sunny, sunny Tampa, Florida. On a boat with your best friends. That's really the big difference for for Tom. And, you know, again, this is just just avocado tequila. This is that talking. Probably Tom Brady. He'll he'll look back on this privately and just be like, man, what was I doing? Because we've all had we've all been there. We've all had a little bit too much to drink and done some things. I don't know if he'll regret it though, but I think he'll look back and be just like, did I really have that much and that's what I did? So he's just having fun. That's all it is. I mean, he's 43. He's living out the time while he's still young before he comes old and gray. And he goes into that retirement home with Peyton Manning, his best friend. And who knows, Rob Gronkowski might be behind him at 33 years old. Who knows? But I just think Tom Brady, he just has loved being in Tampa. And I think part of it is just the weather. And he just likes the change. He likes the challenge and all that. But I mean, me personally speaking as the Patriots fan... It's kind of unsettling to see him having this much fun because he was not having this much fun while he was playing under Bill Belichick. So it could just be he's got freedom to do what he wants without any repercussions because he knows that the Emperor of Darkness isn't watching over him. But I will say, Tom Brady, you have done a lot in your career. Seven Super Bowl wins, five MVPs, from that Super Bowl, but this should be the biggest honor of them all. Winning this week's Head Scratcher LOL Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.